Kenya was known as the Silicon Savannah, name coming from the Silicon Valley. A lot of early adapters in the tech space started creating a community and building products that has now led to the, the creation of the African tech space. After over a decade of development, Africa's startup scene is booming. Last year, the tech sector attracted a record $5 billion, more than the total amount raised in the previous three years combined. It's actually kind of mind-blowing in many ways. The pace of growth in the last couple of years is, is incredible in terms of the amount of funding coming into the continent. And that is particularly because there was a lot of interest and excitement from U.S. investors. We saw some really scaling up their investments. The continent also saw the creation of a record number of five unicorns, private companies valued over $1 billion. And this year looks even more promising. This creation of unicorns that has more or less proved to investors that you can make African tech companies into multi-billion dollar companies that are profitable on the continent. It's a vibrant uh, place to be. We've got great innovators, and we're beginning to see that evolve quickly. But Africa's startup scene is still much smaller compared to the rest of the world. With regulation differences and income disparities across the continent, can African startups keep growing? When you talk of the genesis of tech in Africa, you'd have to go back when government started promoting uh, the internet and the use of the internet. We started seeing a pipeline of uh, software engineers that came out. And some of the things that they started doing was really making applications, for instance, HR management applications for universities, for hospitals, for you know, large stores and factories. Also in the 1990s, big tech companies brought cell phones to the continent, laying foundations for Africa's mobile internet age. Kenya has been one of the hubs leading Africa's tech innovation since the 2000s. Yeah, you can argue that Nairobi is where Africa's tech started. So in the late 2000s, with the advent of the sea cables coming onto the coast of Kenya and with the availability of well-educated young people, a community was created in Nairobi and iHub was one of the first community spaces on the continent that brought innovation groups together. Founded back in 2010 by a group of like-minded techies, iHub provided a much-needed space for entrepreneurs in Nairobi to meet, share ideas, and develop products. The first three years of iHub was amazing. There was this energy that was on another level of people to actually chat with each other, people to build prototypes, people having hackathons, like hackathon after week after week, just to kind of like see who could develop the best app, trainings happening, people giving their time to actually like train the young developers. So it was really intense of how amazing the community was from all levels, academia, from corporate, from government, to uh, tech community itself. We've had like hundreds of startups that came out of the iHub ecosystem. Some have actually been very successful. 
Since its inception, iHub has helped create 150 startups and created more than 2,500 jobs, achieving what the Kenyan government tried to but couldn't do. You see world-class office space. We see launchpads to extraordinary startups and profitable organizations. In 2008, two years before iHub was born, the state proposed a plan to build a tech hub called Konza Technopolis, about 60 kilometers southeast of Nairobi. But over a decade later, the project is still a work in progress. You cannot force innovation to happen. It's not just the space that you need, it's the people that come with it. It's a talent that needs to build this, this tech space. Another milestone in Kenya's tech history was the birth of M-Pesa, a mobile phone-based money transfer service. It was launched in 2007 by Safaricom, Kenya's biggest telecom company, partly owned by the UK firm Vodafone. Like many African countries, Kenya's banking system was underdeveloped, and a huge majority of the population didn't have a bank account. That meant transferring money was difficult. You start with a send money home uh, proposition because Kenya has a rural to urban migration and everyone in the urban areas was sending money to rural, rural areas and that meant taking time off work or over the weekend to go see your parents and give them money. I remember in 2007 I used to travel almost 500 kilometers uh, from Nairobi to go give my mom money. Just with the advent of uh, the send money home proposition that changed how we send money in Kenya dramatically. But smartphones hadn't arrived yet in Kenya, and so the M-Pesa team relied on USSD and SIM toolkit, the same technology used for sending an SMS. Users registered for an M-Pesa account with their SIM cards, put cash into the account through an M-Pesa agent, and then sent the money by phone. Recipients could also cash out through an agent. The transaction fee for sending money was 30 Kenyan shillings, about 26 cents. It went on and, you know, was developed into a complex payment system where people can not only just transfer money, but can also uh, pay bills, borrow, and uh, there are now even investment products that are on M-Pesa. In fact, even the Kenyan government used uh, the system to, to sell bonds uh, at one time. Now we have 30 million uh, active uh, customers on the M-Pesa Kenya ecosystem. Today, well over 50% of the GDP of Kenya is actually flowing through it. The success of M-Pesa ushered in mobile money across the continent, spawning the birth of other startups trying to solve everyday problems in Africa. Among them, Sendi, a Nairobi-based digital logistics company facilitating door-to-door -door deliveries between individuals and businesses. Logistics in Africa is quite fragmented and quite costly. If you have an item on the shelf for about $10, about 4 to $6 of that is we can attribute that to logistics, over 40 to 60% of that. And that's a problem we sought out to solve, to reduce that to a single digit form. And technology has allowed companies like Sendy to aggregate uh, the informal logistics sector uh, into a more homogeneous uh, kind of uh, play that all these businesses can actually trade. When you talk about shipping, uh, you have to also talk about payments. 
We started in Kenya uh, because we kind of saw how the digital economy was growing in Kenya and the penetration we had seen in mobile money in this market you know, enabled us to move quite fast on that. Twenty twenty one was a breakout year for startups like Sendy. With the COVID nineteen pandemic, many consumers turned to online services for grocery deliveries, tutoring, and healthcare. African startups raised a record $5 billion last year, and nearly two-thirds of the top 20 largest disclosed deals involved investors from the U.S. In 2016, Mark Zuckerberg visited Kenya and he interacted with the tech space. In 2019, Jack Dorsey was also toured three, four countries on the continent, was also planning on actually living in Africa for six months. The interest has been there. What changed was that companies proved that, one, that investors can exit and you know, make money for their investment, but secondly, that you're able to scale on the continent. The money pouring into Africa's tech sector minted five unicorns last year, a huge number for the ecosystem, given the continent only has six unicorns so far, and four of those are Nigeria-based. As far as monetization of tech and startups is concerned, Nigeria came in a little bit later, but has had the hugest success in, in terms of monetization. The African unicorns that we have now are mainly in Nigeria because there's money and economy to be, to be mobilized there. One of those unicorns is Flutterwave, a fintech startup facilitating cross-border payments. Africa specifically was a very complicated market from a digital payments perspective. It was a very fragmented market in the sense that we had over 50 countries. We have, to date, <laughs> about 40 currencies in circulation and over 300 types of digital payments. And so what Flutterwave does is pull all of those different payment types across the countries, across currencies, onto one platform so that as an individual or as a business, it becomes much more easier for you to reach your customers or for you to send peer-to-peer -peer transfers to family members, friends in other geographies. Flutterwave caused a lot of excitement in, in 2021. It did not just become a unicorn, but it became a unicorn in, in five years, which was uh, quite a short period of time. And it's found uh, Agbola really became, you know, a go-to person on uh, how to do it, you know, in, in Africa. We are focused on building you products that will make a very positive impact on the lives of everyone that comes across those products. In fact, that's what FinTech means to us. Today, over 900,000 businesses use Flutterwave and over 200 million individual transactions have been processed on the platform. Nigeria is the company's biggest market, but it has ambitions to expand in Africa and even go global. We're starting with Egypt and Morocco. And beyond that, we're also looking to build a base outside of Africa. We're looking at Europe, we're looking at the US. Um, eventually, we'll have our eyes on Canada as well. So it's really exciting um, times for us. But compared with the rest of the world, African startups are still much smaller in size. And while money piles into the continent's four big tech hubs, startups in smaller markets, including those run by women, are still struggling to secure funding. Even with 
a lot of capital coming in. Again, it's chasing very specific industries, certain markets. So if you're kind of not in those industries markets or necessarily have the networks, which is one of the challenges a lot of women have, there, there's you know significant difference between how much money is going to all male founders versus teams that have women founders or all women. We're really talking about single digits. We're talking about single digits of all that investment actually going to um, women-led and women-owned businesses. We are in a continent where our digital destiny is like what we're focused on. And so how do you really think about adjusting and ensuring there's more equitable distribution of the, the economic gains that we made from this? Lack of basic infrastructure and regulations also create problems for African startups, those that are looking to develop their business and scale up across the continent. The basics still need work. For example, in Nigeria, the need to have access to energy is something that the government needs to, to help facilitate. Similarly, in terms of road and railway, in, in, in majority of the, the continent, are huge investments that still need to be done so that startups that are working, say, in logistics, are able to kind of plug in into that system. Regulation is different across uh, these markets. So regulation in Kenya is quite different from regulation in other countries that uh, we deal in. And having to deal with that is quite, uh, quite painful for a business, uh, business like us. Some of the fintechs uh, innovate and then go to the regulator, or innovate and are not aware of the laws. You're seeing some of the countries rolling up tax laws that are targeting such an, an emerging industry, whether it's e-commerce uh, and so on, in the nascent stages of, of growth. Uh, when you're taxed, that, that could limit the potential of, of it. While the continent is large and we have um, a lot of people on mobile, you have more people using the internet, the reality is that it can be hard to get a good grasp of the size of the consumer base that you can really monetize. We certainly are in a market with a lot of inequity and don't have necessarily the purchasing power at an average consumer base than some other markets have. But starting up in Africa still has its advantages. The continent has the youngest population in the world, with 70% of sub-Saharan Africa under the age of 30. Young Africans provide the continent with a rich talent pool. Africa also benefits from a vast diaspora, an estimated 40 million people in North America alone. As someone who's, who was educated in the US, and the first wave, I would say, of when I came back and many a diaspora before me was coming back to the continent and physically being here, starting companies or working at places like Google, where I worked, you know, the tech companies that were setting up on the continent. And I think over some time, what we're starting to see as a shift is that there's a lot of opportunities for the diaspora to not move back, but to play a role in different ways. So diaspora who are investing in tech companies, some who are advising tech companies, and I think opens up more opportunity for this collaboration of diaspora with those on the continent. The potential in Africa, we, we're just still scratching the surface and we'll be seeing a lot more growth in the next five to 10 years. We're going to have more companies that are valued at two billion, four billion, five billion, 10 billion, and even more. We're going to see, you know, some initial public offerings from, from some of these companies. Tech startups are already playing a big role on the continent. They're creating employment, 
They're creating solutions to problems that are faced by the regular citizenry. They're providing innovation that is making ability to do business easier, cheaper and more efficient. In the next few years, it's just going to get better and easier to do business on the continent.